Tchaikovsky to make it three! Scintillating football by the Chicago Fire! Finding Herbers, Fabian Herbers is in again, and Fabian Herbers has scored again! A man on fire! Hello football fans on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean from England's green and pleasant land to the windy city and beyond across the United States. This is the Intercontinental Football Show, episode 14, with myself, Harlow White, lead commentator of NBC Sports coverage of the Premier League, and Tyler Terrence, the voice of your Chicago Fire FC, who's had a rather busy 24 hours, Tyler. Yes, it has been a, a mighty busy 24 hours for the Chicago Fire. It started um, wrapping up a three-game homestand, albeit not at their typical home um, at Soldier Field, but rather at SeatGeek Stadium, a bit of nostalgia. Um, so that was fun to be able to sort of see a game at SeatGeek with fans for the first time, because we're typically doing those games on the road, um, you know, Tony and I from SeatGeek, uh, especially last year. The Fire put in arguably their best performance of the season. They get a 2-0 win against an NYCFC team who has everything to play for. Um, everything seemed great after the game. Fans were super into it. Um, and then basically uh, after the game, there were some rumors swirling around. And then this morning, the Chicago Fire uh, Football Club made it official that Raphael Wicke and the club have parted ways. And the search for the next head coach for the Chicago Fire has officially begun. So this is, uh, this is some big news coming out of camp. There was always questions as to whether or not Rafa's seat was hot. Um, you know, given where the fire are in the table, which is in 12th place right now, 12 points off of a playoff spot. And, um, and yeah, Arlo, it's, it's, it's been busy. There's been a, a lot of rumors circulating. There were some um, people in the media who, who tweeted it out before the club did, um, but the club just recently made it official and Rafa was, uh, was let go um, late last night after the 2-0 win against NYCFC. Okay, it's massive news. We'll have more on that shortly. And Tyler, you're going to explain exactly how it all went down. We'll also look back at a very eventful midweek in the Champions League. It was an occasion where Ronaldo whipped his shirt off again and we all gasped in, in admiration at the man's physique. And, and look ahead to another busy Premier League weekend, including the small matter of Liverpool against Manchester City this coming Sunday where I have a big side desk at Anfield and I can't wait for that. Mm. So... Only one story in town, Tyler, for episode 14. A significant 24 hours in the history of the Chicago Fire. Rafa Wicke, who we both got to know reasonably well, and the Chicago Fire parted ways. So how did this all play out after what was and what looked like an excellent victory over NYCFC at SeatGeek Stadium? You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is that the, the result and the performance are going to sort of be dwarfed by this news and that this was by far the best performance that we saw from Chicago over the entirety of the season. The press was alive and well again. Um, you know, the boys were just playing with a lot of conviction. It was quick one-two touch. It was the type of football that we saw in the first 15 minutes against New England at the beginning of the year, but that we really didn't see for the rest of the season. So that's number one. The, the, there was clearly a buy-in and there was there was a sense of urgency about the guys. For whatever reason, I'm not exactly, we have no idea what was going through their mind and why last night looked different than, than most nights this season for Chicago. Um, but, you know, I wasn't privy to any of the conversations or anything like that. You know, just talking to some people at the club and, you know, from the communications department and everything like that. Basically, Raphael Wicke um, was pulled into the office by George Heights and was basically just informed that he was going to be let go. This is a decision that is obviously difficult to make because, you know, in Arlo, and I'm sure you'll get into this, this was an unprecedented um, last 24 months, not only for... Rafael Wiki as, as the you know manager of the Chicago Fire Football Club, but for all of us as human beings in the midst of a, of a global pandemic that likes of which that we've never seen. So 
that that I think it you know needs to sort of be at the top of this when we're starting to discuss Rafael Wicke and his tenure for the Fire, which finished at 12, 25, and 14. So he accrued 50 points over 51 games. So basically, you know, the Fire now have you know six, seven games left remaining in the season. You have one home game remaining. Um, and the Fire will now try to find their next head coach. Frank Klopas is going to be the interim head coach for the moment, along with Aiden Brown. Those two are going to be in charge of of leading this group um, towards the end of the 2021 season. And other, other than the fact that Rafa was um, made aware of it last night, there really hasn't been any other, you know, talk in terms of who might the next coach be, you know, are they going to be from Europe? Is it going to be an American? There's been rumors about Bob Bradley, you know, you can throw out whatever you want, but at the end of the day, Rafa's gone and this club needs to start to rebuild now. And, and there needs to be a, a true sense of urgency. And we'll get into that middle, but uh, in a little bit, but I just want to share my thoughts personally on, on Rafael Wiki, because, you know, Arlo, I, I truly got to know not just Rafael Wiki, the football <laughs> mind, but Rafael Wiki, the man. And this is, this mm-hmm. is a guy who I genuinely enjoyed spending time with. And as a commentator and somebody who used to work for, for teams in major league soccer, Arlo, I'm sure you know that you, you end up forming relationships with these people. And it's not just, Correct. You know, it's not just this dismissal of somebody who you happen to work with, you know, I would see Rafa, you know, in the morning for breakfast on road trips, we'd have conversations for 90 minutes with Tony Miola talking about the U S men's national team and the state of American soccer on the global scale and, and why there needs to be more chatter about the Swiss national team than there does need to be about the United States national team. And, and I thoroughly enjoy Raphael Wiki as a, as a human being, my heart has broken for him this year and everything that's gone on with his father, who's still in critical condition. And, you know, this is an opportunity for him to go be going, you know, be with his family and, you know, nothing but positive thoughts to, to him and his loved ones um, going through this difficult time. But this has been a really, really difficult year for Rafa, his family. And and it comes to a conclusion that obviously is, is a super sour note, but I'm glad that he got to go out on three points. Um, Rafa is an incredibly pragmatic, thoughtful, level-headed human being that, um, you know, I, I'm going to miss having around the Chicago Fire group. And, and I think I speak for everybody at the club who's had the pleasure of working with him. But um, it's always difficult when this sort of thing happens. And I just wanted to sort of share my piece in terms of me and, and my relationship with Rafa. And he was always more than generous with his time. And, you know, we built a level of trust that he was able to tell us things and some of it didn't make mm-hmm. the air and whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, you know, this is a business driven result, um, or this is a results driven business, I should say. And, um, and the results just simply haven't been there. And usually the coach is, is the first one to go when, when you start to see those results dropping um, over the course of two seasons. Yeah, well said. Um, results driven. Uh, we know that football is that way. 12 wins in 51 regular season games in Major League Soccer, you know, on the face of it, isn't good enough for a club like the Chicago Fire. But the mitigating circumstances, and I know that every club, not just in Major League Soccer, but over the entire world has had a tough time. But Rafa Wiki was brought into a situation which was undergoing the, the biggest revolution internally uh, since the, the club was founded in 1997 and started playing in 1998. You had the move to Soldier Field. Joe Mansueto had bought the club, um, a new sporting director. Everything about the Chicago Fire was changing. And as soon as he came in, w- within weeks, if not a couple of months, 
the world was in lockdown. New players that had been brought in um, were arriving in the country and young guys were spending time on their own in apartments around downtown Chicago or wherever they were. Mm -hmm. And it was very, very difficult. Rafa himself, you know, new, relatively new to a city, you know, couldn't, couldn't really experience the town and soak it up for a long, long time. And then you have the MLS's back tournament and you have one or two injury issues. Then you have behind closed doors games. So the whole thing got off to, and it was nothing to do with him, a pretty rough, turbulent start. So I, I, I'd, I'd offer that in mitigation. The results this, this season, they haven't been great. Um, there have been disciplinary issues that, that we've talked a lot about on the on the pod with, with players doing silly things. And mm. this is what has to stop in, in the Chicago fire squad. There has to be a level of leadership within that group and a, and a, a level of, of professionalism that needs mm -hmm. to be attained consistently within that group. And that's silly things like timekeeping. You know, we've seen Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang <laughs> binned out of a, of a North London derby because he couldn't turn up for it to a meeting in time. You know, this happens across the football world, but the fire have got to take responsibility for their own actions. And I mean, by that, I mean the players. So I met Rafa for the first time, um, early part of the season away at Columbus. It was my mm -hmm. first uh, game at, at the microphone. Tony uh, Miola was there as well. And it was a production meeting. And I've got to say, Tyler, from European managers, when, when you tell them the concept of what a production meeting is, the, their initial reaction is, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I So I sit there on the morning of a game and tell a couple of broadcasters who I barely know, I mean, he knew Tony better than me, uh, that I barely know my starting 11, and not only that, my tactics for the game that I'm about to play tonight. How do I know that's not going straight back to the Columbus crew? So he was a little sort of guarded in that first meeting. But by the end, and by this time, we were doing Zoom calls for the, for the homestand. And I just found him really, really good company. And what he what he discovered from a personal point of view, and, and, and you had more experience with this, is that when he saw how we dealt with that information, which wasn't to hammer the Chicago fire. It wasn't looking for scoops like we were a British tabloid, you know. <laughs> it was to help tell the story of what Rafa and the coaching staff and the team were trying to implement on the field in, in that particular day. So when we knew he, he was going to a back three, we could tell the audience why. And I think he warmed to that because that helps get... He, with a voice piece story. to try and yeah. yeah to try and get across to everybody what he was trying to achieve and and I just I delighted I was only there for four games but I delighted in the that mini process of 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 getting information from Rafa and then being able to integrate that into a into a broadcast and then Rafa sort of going oh yeah quite like this and then being really really chatty um, and like you said look I, he he's a he's a terrific guy cerebral. He has integrity. He has intelligence. He treats people the right way. And if there is a silver lining, as you say, Tyler, he gets to go home and spend a bit of time with with his part with his father, who's been very poorly for for a while now. Um, and he went out with a win. So uh, hopefully, we look back on the Rafa Wiki era. It wasn't hugely successful in terms of points on the board and playoff runs and that sort of thing. Um, but he he handled himself with dignity and with class throughout a very very turbulent period in in. in in Chicago Fire's history and in MLS and in society. And yeah. for that, he goes with, uh, with our best, best wishes. And there's one thing I want to, I want to throw on top of, of what you were talking about in terms of, you know, the, 
the the intro that Raphael Wicke and George Heights had into this um, in, into 2020, you know, going from Joe Mansueto taking over the team. You know, there's been a lot of talk um, from from some fans about like, you know, look at Nashville SC. They're an expansion team in Chicago. We're, you know, we're sort of pitched to the fans as an expansion team with a new logo that's obviously changing, you know, this upcoming week as we officially roll out the new crest. Um, you know, moving back to Soldier Field, new sporting director, new technical director, 17 new players. And they're like, well, look at Nashville. They're making the postseason. Look at Miami. They're making the postseason. I want to make one thing very clear. Those teams had a runway of years. Mm. You think about Nashville. They were in the second division of the USL championship for a couple of years before they even got into MLS building their roster. Inter-Miami basically has known that they were going to come into MLS for even longer than that. The Chicago Fire were responsible for basically rebuilding, retooling, and, and totally ch- a facelift of an, of an entire franchise in a, in a top three market in the United States over the course of three months. That is just flat out unheard of. So I don't want to hear any of this about like, you know, look at where Nashville and near Miami is Mm. because it's a totally different situation. And then you throw the pandemic on top of it and it just makes it an almost impossible situation. So I just want fans to truly understand how difficult it was signing 17 new players going in from 19 to 20, rebuilding a roster, trying to find a new identity, not only from an aesthetic standpoint, but from a technical and tactical standpoint as well. And and wanting to integrate more homegrowns, you know, the five homegrowns that they signed right at the beginning of the pandemic that included Brian Gutierrez, that included the likes of um, Alan Rodriguez. Um, But, you know, again, this is an extremely difficult situation. And, and, and again, I, I, I wish Rafa nothing but the best. I know that he really doesn't read or listen to any of this stuff. I hope that he might take the time one day to listen to the Intercontinental Football Show. Um, and, and Rafa, we wish you nothing sincerely and truly from the bottom of, of all three of our hearts, A-Dub as well, who's never had the pleasure of meeting Rafa. But um, he's heard us talk about him plenty. Uh, we wish you nothing but the best and, and best wishes to, uh, to your family and to your father in this difficult time. Yeah, all the best, Rafa, in in whatever comes next for you. And we look with keen interest at where the fire turn next. Frank Klopas in charge until the end of the season. So you'd expect an off-season appointment fairly soon after the regular season ends. And let's see what the future brings for the Chicago Fire. In terms of the game at SeatGeek Stadium, watching from afar, the atmosphere seemed pretty good. Fede Navarro gets his first uh, goal for the Chicago Fire. So it was one era kind of ends after the game with Rafa Wicki and the fire parting ways. Fede Navarro continues to grow to offer hope for the future. Absolutely. And and I think that again, I, and, and a lot of fire fans will know this, but it needs to be said again. And, you know, it's not just technical staff that, that is on the chopping block right now, but there are plenty of players whose contracts are up and there are options that may or may not be exercised for next year. And guys are playing for their jobs. I mean, that's as simple as it is for the next for the next six or seven games, you know, you still have a very, 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 very outside shot of making the postseason. You would need to go on a ridiculous run and get some help. But guys are playing for contracts. They're playing for playing time next year. And they're trying to make an impression on, on the technical staff and Frank Klopas and Adam Brown heading into next year. So Federico Navarro, his second straight man of the match performance, he was absolutely everywhere. I think that he made the best challenge of the night about 60 seconds before he ended up scoring his goal. So it was like just the perfect little end-to-end box-to-box stretch for Fetty as he breaks up an opportunity for NYCFC on one end, goes on the other, gets a nice little layoff. And then, you know, as, you know, Arlo, we were talking about it, it wasn't the best goalkeeping from Sean Johnson. It took a slight little deflection. And I, and I sort of asked Tony for my own clarification on the call. I said, 
even though it took a deflection, it seems like Sean Johnson should have done better with that. And he goes, it's not just Sean Johnson. It's any keeper in MLS or any keeper in the world should have done better with that. And Sean, of course, is going to is going to be banging his head against the wall. And that happens sometimes, you know, to goalkeepers and the goalkeeper union and whatever you want to call it. And Tony Miola is always going to back them up until the day that he dies. But um, this was a very, very, very strong performance on a number of different levels. And Tony and I talked about it. Ronnie Dyla was not expecting the fire to come out and press the way that they did throughout the course of those 90 minutes. And I think that they were genuinely caught off guard and NYCFC was not set up to do that. They typically want to stretch the field and create some space for Maxi Morales and Keaton Parks to operate in Jesus Medina to pick up some balls. And, you know, Tati Castellanos is typically the one doing that. He was unavailable. Their young DP in Brazilian 19 year old um, Tylus Magno got the start. He's more of a back to goal. He might even be more of a winger as opposed to an out and out striker. And it just simply wasn't the setup. NYCFC were frustrated all night. Uh, Max Morales really couldn't get a foothold in the game, and they always go as he goes. And it was just a really, really sharp, professional performance from the fire from start to finish. Um, Gastoni Menez, I thought, was very solid on the night. Um, you know, a couple of giveaways in the middle of the field and maybe some flicks that, um, you know, will drive the technical staff a little crazy in their, his own defensive third. But other than that, I mean, I, I, John Espinosa, I thought we saw the best from the young Ecuadorian. It was a very strong performance, clean um, convincing football in the attacking third. And just and it just felt like the guys were playing with it with a true purpose um, on the night. Again, it's sad that Rafa had to go out on that note, but also on, at the same time, you can look at a glass half full that, you know, it seemed like the guys bought in uh, against a very good NYCFC side who had everything to play for. So it was it was a really fun game to not only just call, but just, to, you know, to, to watch as well. And I'll have fun looking back at it as well. Well, Tyler, what a massive week of Champions League football. I mean, I don't think we've seen the amount of stories coming out of various Champions League group games as we did this week. And Florentino Perez, the Real, Real Madrid uh, president, will, 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 I think, regret for the rest of his days that he said, we're not, we're not interested in the Champions League group stage. We're not interested yes. in the competition at all until you get to the quarterfinal stage. And it's Sheriff Tiraspol that go to the Bernabeu. Who? And I mean, I mean, they've got a sheriff's badge as, as their badge. I mean, it is absolutely astonishing what happened there. And, the, and Barcelona get absolutely creamed by Benfica. A right it talking. Is, a is, right talking. It's astonishing what is happening. I mean, surely the, the worst match week for those two Spanish giants in the history uh, of, of the Champions League in, in terms of the same week. But Manchester United is is is, is something I want to talk about against Villarreal. I found, I don't know what you, you watched the game, Tyler, as well. I thought this was an unbelievably unconvincing performance by Manchester mm. United, who at one point were 1-0 down and home to Villarreal, and rightly so, Villarreal played a super game under Unai Emery at that point. And you're looking at the opening day defeat at Young Boys, and you're looking at the defeat against Aston Villa, and you're looking at, at the EFL Cup exit at, at home at the hands of West Ham United, and you're looking at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sitting in the, in the dugout area, and you're thinking, this could be it. That tonight... Could be it because but how many times have United, we said how many times have we said that over the past year and a half? Absolutely. Now it, it's it's one of those situations whereby if they if Man United don't have a guy lined up, then then they probably it's a stay of execution. But hold on a minute, you're looking at the Europa League at this point. If you if you're no points after two games, it's not over by any stretch. But you're looking at the Europa League. You're out the the, the AFL Cup. Okay, FA Cup doesn't start yet, and you've already dropped. 
probably not too many points, but you're dropping points in the Premier League as well. And it's not clicking. That's the mm. problem. One word to describe the first half and maybe the first 60 minutes, static. Manchester United are so static. David, De Gea, David De Gea won that game for them. And, yes. and, and, and they're, they're, all yeah. the head, Cristiano Ronaldo is going to grab all the headlines, but David yeah. De Gea stood on his head in the first 45 minutes. He kept that game as close as possible, did everything in his part to be able to give his team a chance to win if they were going to pull a uh, pull a rabbit out of the hat and and he was phenomenal but no static is is a hundred percent the right and and via real and unai emery knew exactly what they were doing the entire time it was just rope and dope all they wanted to do was hit them on the counter they're going to sit in a low block and they knew that united simply just don't have those players who are going to be able to break down a low block bruno fernandez is really the only one who has that in his bag and, and they just totally stifled United for, for the first 60 minutes. Yeah. And Paul Popgar at his best, don't get me wrong, is fantastic. We just don't see it often enough. And, yeah. and we see a guy that's trotting around the midfield. Is he an attacking midfielder in that situation? Is he, is he you know, alongside Scott McTominay and, and doing some defensive work? He kind of did neither for, for most of the game. Mm. They've got a problem at the base of their midfield and it needs to be sorted out. It's, it's an Eve Bissouma sort of situation. I thought they finally showed... That old style Man United in your face, Fergie time, you know, sort of attitude when Edinson Cavani came on. I mean, the guy is what, 34? He's the most energetic out of all of them. And my, that, that's my that, golden that, boot winner. That's my yeah, golden boot that, winner. Right um, there, yeah. that, that, that bit of video that's gone uh, viral where there's a ball played down inside the fullback and, and Ronaldo, you know, he's never going to get it. But Cavani's miles away and sprints across and manages to keep the ball in play and they almost get a chance out of it. And that's what United fans in, in Old Trafford, that's what they want to see. They want to see endeavour. They want to see commitment. And, and they got it back. Now, two things. Alex Tellez, if you're ever going to score a, a worldie oh in front of the Stretford end, my goodness, he may have saved his manager's job with that because that was magnificent. It was timed beautifully. And, and I timed it at 94 minutes and 14 seconds of, of five minutes of stoppage time. And when Ronaldo put that ball in the back of the net, you know, I'm not a Man United fan, but I leapt in the air. And by yeah. the way, Jesse Lingard's little touch was great, but the finish was fantastic. The celebration was You think he was trying to poke that back towards Ronaldo? Or do you think he was trying to I think so. To I, don't, yeah. I don't know. I think he was just trying to get a touch to keep it alive. But, but, yeah. but the fact that it was cushioned so nicely... You know, with, with Ronaldo in the vicinity, kept it alive and Ronaldo yeah. did the rest. A brilliant, brilliant moment. Don't get me. That's why they signed Ronaldo. He is ridiculous. And it's just fabulous. And it's a great story, but it's masking huge inefficiencies in that United lineup at the moment. And, and you know who was the first person to run up to Ronaldo when there was that great picture with Diogo Delo, you know, like grabbing the face of Cristiano Ronaldo. I wanted to like quote tweet something that said, you saved my position at Manchester United because he was <laughs> horrific for the entirety of that game. And like the only way that Villarreal were going to score was down his side. And that's exactly how it happened. But I, I loved it. And Sir Alex standing up was just incredible. And like, you know, Tony and I were watching a game on basically on the way over to, to SeatGeek and, um, you know, like you said, I'm not a United fan. I, I certainly don't like United as a Liverpool fan, but um, it, it was tough not to root for them and not to feel that, you know, sort of Fergie time magic that we saw. And great to see Sir Alex catching up with the Usain Bolt coming down the stairs of Old Trafford as they <laughs> as, made their way to the does. director's room. Yeah, yeah well, they, I mean, they, they, obviously the adrenaline was coursing through Sir Alex's veins and he managed to catch up with the fastest man that's ever walked the planet. Um, Paris Saint-Germain to Manchester City nil. Um, look, I mean, the, again, like Ronaldo, Lionel Messi stealing the headlines, his first goal for Paris Saint-Germain, and it was, a, it was a very Messi-esque goal. It was absolutely wonderful. The burst of pace with the ball at his feet, the give and go on the edge of the penalty area and, and the 
with a beautiful finish. Now, I actually thought in this game that Manchester City were the better side and they were coming off um, a monumental effort to win 1-0 at Chelsea when they were high-pressing. I know they made changes, um, but I thought they put in a pretty good performance. And I like uh, Berich and Espinosa both hitting the crossbar within 10 seconds for the fire last night. I mean, how Bernardo Silva missed that one, oh you know, managed to goodness. hit the bar from about two yards, was, was absolutely incredible. But I don't think City have anything particularly to worry about here. Um, but I just don't think Man City have too much to worry about with this game sandwiched in between Chelsea away and Liverpool away in the Premier League. Yeah, it was always going to be tough. And, you know, everybody wants to say that this is, you know, a preview of the final and everything of the sort. And this is laying down a marker in Champions League and and whatnot. And Messi's going to steal the headlines. But like you said, I, I you know, I, I was hearing a lot, you know, whether it be on, you know, grumpy pundits on Sirius XMFC or whatever it might be, all this talk about, you know, does Manchester City need to hit the panic button? Absolutely not. You know, this is still a group that has a tremendous amount of quality. And they ran into a PSG team that, you know, for the first time, I think we saw what that front three is capable of. I think we saw it in spurts. And I still think that, you know, Messi's ability and and his style at that age to just be able to float and then flick it on like that. And like just his recognition of the moment, you know, you saw the intent, you saw the purpose. As soon as he recognized that space was in front of him, he immediately attacks it. And when he plays that ball into Mbappe, he's always getting it back. And you could see the defender, I forget exactly who it was trying to brush him off, knew it was coming back to him, but just simply couldn't do anything about it because it's not simply the finish, but it's the way that he sets up the defender so that he can then get the ball back because he's taking his touches away from the defender and then cuts back the other way to go get the ball. So it's impossible for, for the defender to try to stay in front of him or brush him off the ball because he's going to end up committing a foul. But I mean, that's Lionel Messi for you. So um, a, a really exciting game. I was watching it simultaneously uh, with Liverpool, and I just need to say it. Um, James Milner, uh, appreciation shout right now because he is just Fullback. a timeless man. Fullback. Mm. Uh, he's he's incredible. I just had to say it. I know we're talking about PSG Man City, but somebody somebody needs to give this man the proper credit because while Ronaldo and Messi at that age, you know, are still floating around and doing their thing and being opportunistic and maybe not covering as much ground, James Milner puts in the work at 34, 35 years old, and somebody needs to give that man the Ballon d'Or this year. I, I yes no I totally agree I, he'd get my vote I think what's happening is uh, Jurgen Klopp is is saying to James Milner can you can you give me one game every three weeks and in yeah. between can you sleep <laughs> can you sleep in a hyper what was what's it called are those oxygen oxygen cryo, chambers cryo, yeah 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 cryobaric one of those cryo yeah, yeah cryo chamber and just and then but when you do play for that ninety minutes you cover the most ground that that any player has ever covered. In yeah. the history of football, you know, the, the guy is incredible. A fantastic victory for, for Liverpool, who consistently go to Porto and batter them. I think it's I think it's 4-0, 5-1, 5-0 or something like that. Um, A-Dub, let's bring you in. Uh, there was, a, there was a, a little quote there from Tyler, a little phrase he used. No time to press the panic button for Manchester City. Mm. You're there with your Chelsea training top on. And his panic it, button's right we, next to him. It's, we, we can't there's see it. A big, the there's street, a big, yeah. big red button next to you that's good, you know, it's flashing red. Is it time to press that panic button after consecutive defeats in very high profile games without scoring a goal? We've been singing Chelsea's praises and I stick to it. We're singing their praises this season so far. But how do you feel after a 1 0 home defeat to Man City and a 1 0 away defeat to Juventus? A dub. It's not time to panic yet, but it is time to worry a little bit that we are not properly set up. Maybe something is not working out. Obviously, we don't know exactly what it is. Lukaku can't get going. Kai Havertz is going slow. None of the wingers can score right now. It's too slow in the midfield. Something's got to change. But it's not time to panic yet. It's still early in the season. 
what what is your ideal what is your ideal if you were if you were playing in a champions league final tomorrow who's your ideal midfield uh, it would be N'Golo, Conte, and Jorginho together. Something like that. It'd be those two. And then somehow up front, there'd be three with Lukaku, probably Kai and Mason Mount. Mason Mount is the most important guy on this team. That's what we're finding out in the past two weeks. Nobody can connect the defense to the offense, the transition better than Mason Mount. But I feel like we keep seeing that Jorginho and, and Kovacic just clearly doesn't, I mean, that doesn't work. I, I know that, I know that we've seen it time and time again, but he continues to, he continues to roll it out there. I know that like you have to rotate and it's midweek games and it's champions league and everything like that, but clearly it doesn't work. It, it doesn't work in Arlo. I mean, I don't know why that Thomas Tuchel does not like Loftus cheek. He has something against the Englishman, and I don't know what it is because he has been good in the games he's played this year for us. Mm, yeah. Kind of forgotten man, isn't he? Along with, uh, along with Barkley as well. Who I think did Barkley come on late on. With his socks yes. rolled down, I said that was a, that was that was kind of strange. Well, like and there was, a, there, was a, yeah. there was a spotting of the well, the lesser spotted Ben Chilwell came on, who left Leicester City as England's starting left back, and he's been putting cones out for most of this season. So it's <laughs> nice to see him play a bit of football uh, in the blue of Chelsea. Adolf's not going to respond. He's just going to he's just going to grimace at that, isn't he? I, I was trying to lure him in to press that panic button. Didn't happen. No time to panic. And Southampton at home for Chelsea at the weekend. Speaking of which, let's get to the Premier League. That was a yes. fabulous weekend in the Champions League. But let's look ahead to a, a another great weekend in the Premier League. Last weekend was one of the best that I can remember. And that and, and the bar is high. I mean, I had two games when it was Brentford 3, Liverpool 3, the North London derby, Arsenal 3, Tottenham 1. This weekend, you know, it's got a lot to live up to, but I think it can. I've got a really interesting game on Saturday, which is Brighton against Arsenal. Brighton have had their best start to a top flight season ever. They missed the opportunity to go top Monday night, uh, Tyler. Uh, they, they they actually did score a late equaliser, so they kind of got away with a point, really. It's a party. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, I, I bet you Brighton fans they'll be a, they'll be gutted. They'll be absolutely gutted because the high point for them, and this is a club as we discussed last week about you know 15, 20 years ago, could have gone out of the football league. And in here you are, if you beat your main rivals, Crystal Palace, you go to the top of the Premier League after six games. And, and who knows when they'll get that opportunity to again. But anyway, they've had a fabulous start to the season. Four wins, one one draw, one defeat. The only defeat was home to Everton. And they're playing good football. They're scoring goals. And it's going to be interesting to see how Arsenal respond and whether they can keep it going from that exhilarating performance in the North London derby. So I'm really, really looking forward to calling that one. 12.30 Eastern, 11.30 Central on NBC on Saturday. Now, Sunday, this is the big one. This is the yep. game that I Get look to forward me. to the most every single season. I've seen Liverpool and Manchester City go at it, you know, over the last three or four years as the best two teams in English football. The 4-3 a few seasons ago remains one of the most mm. incredible games of football I've ever seen. The the, the quote-unquote title decider at the Etihad later that season, I think it was, which was 2-1 to Manchester City and John Stones clearing that ball off the line and all that. That was one of the most intense games of football I've ever commented on. I've had Jurgen Klopp use the F word at the pitch side desk after the 4-3. <laughs> We've got another pitch side desk as well. And, and honestly, I'm beside myself. I can't wait for this game whatever you're doing on Sunday stop it because if you want to see a game that typifies the high intensity high octane quality football nature of the Premier League this is it can Liverpool get a result Tyler I 
I, 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 in my heart of hearts and in my football brain, which obviously is, is clouded the most by my, by my affinity for, uh, for the Reds. Uh, I do believe that, that we can get a result. Um, a, a couple of things concern me again, the midfield. I'm, I'm a little concerned that this is going to be the first time for 90 minutes. If it stays 11 v 11, I think that we, we really could have seen them been exposed against Chelsea if that had stayed 11 v 11, because that game was open and, and ready to just pop off. If, if Bruce James didn't get sent off right before halftime, I'm a little concerned as to what this midfield is going to look like and who Jurgen Klopp is going to go with. We put in some really good results as of late. We still are looking for that, for that true marquee win in the premier league this year. This is our, this is our first, you know, real big true test. Um, and I am, I'm, I'm skeptical, but I, but I do think that we can get a result and the form that Mohamed Salah is in right now. I mean, all bets are yeah. off when he's scoring the way that he is and whether it's, whether it's a beautiful curler, you know, from 25 yards out or, or, you know, the, the crap goal that he scored against Porto, you know, just sort of trickling over the line. It doesn't really matter at this point because he's finding ways to get it done. And um, not having Trent is certainly going to hurt, you know, um, James Milner, is he going to be able to go again? Is Trent going to be fit? You know, we'll find out, but um, this is, this is absolutely massive. And this is one of the games where, you know, Tony and I are sort of like thinking about our schedule for the, for the Toronto FC game. We'll, we'll drive out to see geek together. And this is one of the games where I just sort of say to him, I'll pick you up after the game. Nothing more needs to be said because my attention is, is needs to be with Liverpool up until that final whistle. And then obviously the focus shifts to the Chicago fire. 10.30 a.m. Central time on Sunday. Liverpool against Manchester City. Myself, Lee Dixon, Graeme Lasso will be on air throughout the day supporting Rebecca and uh, the chaps in the studio from the pitch side. And, and I can't tell you what a thrill it is to be that close when you're at a place like Anfield and you're seeing these players going through their paces, you know, from, from yards away. It is absolutely fantastic. So I can't wait for that. And do you know what I feel coming on here, Tyler? I feel the second Sunday night pod, the second SNP. Mm. We've, I mean, we've got to, haven't we? I mean, how can I, we not do an SNP after Liverpool against Man City? And there's Chicago loads of games against, on the Sunday as well. Chicago Fire, Toronto FC, three o'clock um, Central Time on Sunday, and then of course we have Liverpool Manchester City earlier in the day. Uh, we we can't not do it. I think we might get arrested if we if we don't do it. I think that it, I think it, yeah. it's just downright illegal. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be episode fourteen. A Dub, are you in? I mean, we can't really do this unless A Dub's on. Oh, book it. We're booking. I mean, the Steelers, who cares about them now? So I don't. Worst I'm team, worst in. team in the I'm division. Worst some, team in the division. Some would say that, Arlo. Some would say that. <laughs> so the Steelers are history in week four, is it? I think. Yeah. Yeah. He's had enough of the Steelers. The Jets have been history since we drafted Zach Wilson. So I'm not even concerned about it anymore. How, well, how, great. The Chicago, what about your Chicago Bears? You've been following them, Arlo? Well, I have not, because it's been so busy at the weekends, um, I've only been watching highlights so far. Well, no, I, I watched the opening game, the Sunday night football, the defeat at the Rams. We bounced back with a, with a victory over the Bengals, who then bounced, you know, they followed that up with obviously a victory at the Steelers after the Bears had softened them up. Um, and then, you know, disappointing defeat at, at, at Cleveland. So, look, it's been, it's been a tough start to the season. Matt Nagy is... As you talk about hot seats, I think Matt Nagy is, is well and truly on it for the Chicago Bears. So I hope for things to uh, to improve and hopefully get to see a game after the Sunday and night how, and pod. I, and I think that we should mention that uh, the Chicago Bears have officially put a bid in for a purchase of, of the Arlington Heights racetrack. I mean, I think yes, that, the, you know, it's, we're, I mean, we're not just talking about American football right now. We're talking about what sort of impact this could potentially have on the Chicago Fire down the line. It's obviously yeah. going to take a while if they end up following through with the purchase, building the stadium, the whole thing. But, you know, the Chicago Fire could be the, the main tenant at Soldier Field. And that would that would certainly change uh, change the 
how do I put this? It would change maybe the priority of the city and Soldier Field when it comes to the Chicago Fire and It'd the be massive. Service. It'd be massive. Yeah. And if you're if you're the Chicago Bears and you're playing paying, and it's off the top of my head, I think I've read it somewhere, 129 million for the right to purchase Arlington Heights, and you're prepared to pay 81 million to to the city to get Frank out the lease, of the yeah. lease for for Soldier Field, that suggests 200 million dollars that you're, you're re- reasonably serious about this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they, if, if the McCaskey family can raise the, the, I don't know, billion dollars, whatever it is. I mean, it feels like you're in Austin Powers 2, doesn't it, when, you, when you're talking about the, the, the cost of stadiums these days. But if they if they do that, then the, the path is open, potentially, for the fire to be the primary tenants, if not 200 million, to, to is buy. That yeah, to, to buy it. Soldier that's, Field, that's, who that's knows? It. That's a Jaden San- That's a Jaden Sancho and a, and a Riyad Mahrez. That's not that much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Sancho's had a tough start. Like yeah. Sunday, Sunday night pod. Stay tuned. We peaked at number five in the U.S. soccer um, uh, podcast charts the other week. Let's get back. A, let's get back in the top ten. Let's make a real good go for it. So you'll have all the reaction from Toronto FC against the Fire with Tyler, myself, fresh from Anfield for Liverpool against Manchester City. Tyler, it's been a big episode. It's been a big week news wise. I can't wait for Sunday night. You take care and have a great call on Sunday. Night.